0: Welcome to Bedtime Stories for the End of the World, a podcast where we sell off our least favourite oxen for a handful of magic beans. We've assembled some of the finest poets the UK has to offer and asked them to rewrite the myths, legends and fairy stories they want to pass down the generations. Stories they want to preserve for whatever future comes next. I'm your host, Eleanor Penny, and I'm delighted to be joined this week from New Zealand and North Virginia, respectively by Nina mingya Powells and Maggie Wang. Hello, guys.
1: Hi. Hi.
0: Nina mingya Powells is a poet and zine maker from New Zealand, based in London. She's the founding editor of Bitter Melon and teaches for the Poetry School. Her debut poetry collection, Magnolia Mulan, was shortlisted for the Forward Prize for Best First Collection in 2020. A collection of personal essays, Small Bodies of Water, will be published this year. Maggie Wang is an undergraduate at the University of Oxford. Her poetry has appeared in Kin, Shards, The Literary Nest, Not Very Quiet, Perhaps and Mag, and Plain Songs, among others. She's also written criticism and creative non fiction and won awards from the Poetry Society, Singapore Unbound, and the Folger Shakespeare Library. When not writing, she enjoys playing the piano and exploring nature. First up, I would like to flag a sort of unique coincidence for our keen eared listeners uh, that both our poets wanted to write about the same myth. And who would I be to tell these charming poets otherwise? So, in the best traditions of myth making, this week we will be holding the same story up to the firelight and at different angles to see what shapes it makes. And with no further ado, let's go over to our first writer, Maggie. Could you tell us a little bit about the story
1: you've chosen to rewrite? So I've chosen to rewrite the myth of Chang'e, who is the Chinese goddess of the moon. Uh, And I was really drawn to this story, first of all, because I think it's always been in the back of my mind as a person of Chinese heritage, and also because there are so many different ways you can tell the story and so many different ways it's been told. And I wanted to try and explore those angles and see what direction I was drawn in. So, like I said, Chang'e is the Chinese goddess of the moon, and she's the subject or devotee of the Mid-Autumn Festival. And as the story goes, she was married to this archer named Ho Yi. And in the version that I have chosen, Ho Yi receives this potion in return for um, shooting down nine suns that were burning up the earth and so he has this potion the potion of immortality and he doesn't want to drink it because he doesn't want to become immortal and be separated from his wife uh Chang'e but one day his apprentice tries to steal the potion and Chang'e is forced to drink it um or in some versions of the story she steals the potion um but uh one way or another she drinks the potion and she ends up flying to the moon So uh, that's sort of the, the skeleton of the myth. Fabulous. I can't wait to hear your version. So this is entitled Landings. One. In the beginning, there were the suns, ten of them. They beat down on the land until the ground cracked through and the rivers turned to dust and choked the wheat in the fields and the heart of the earth bled itself out. Night was a foreign language to us. We had no time to dream of darkness, only time to think of starving. He was young then, and the villagers laughed when he said he would shoot down nine of those sons and show the gods what mortals were made of. But he ignored them, and I loved him for that. He shot, and nine sons fell. Afterwards, the legends would claim his bow was heavier even than him, but he didn't complain. He had done what even the gods couldn't do, so they thanked him. Xiuang brought him a vial of amber liquid. You will live forever if you drink it, she said. I watched him turn the vial over in his palms and hold it up to the light. He couldn't decide if he wanted to drink it. I couldn't decide if I wanted him to. Finally, he stood up and put the potion away at the back of the cupboard with the herbs and the medicines and looked at me. Forget about it, he said. Life is too short to waste time wondering what it would be like to be immortal. 2. We learn the words for dawn and dusk, morning and afternoon and evening. In the streets, people would call out Ho Yi's name and thank him. He would smile and nod and tell them it was the least he could do. There was only one who wasn't grateful. Feng Meng liked to talk about how small the earth was how it didn't matter if those nine suns were gone because there were a million, million others in the universe. And he said he would leave some day, swim the ocean if he had to, or break the sky in two. He didn't need to stay to sweep the graves of his ancestors. He would honor them by carving their names among the stars. He made the earth seem small with all his ambitions, but Hoi humored him because he loved him like a son. 3. That autumn, once the harvest was over, he went out on a hunting trip and left Feng Meng to take care of the house. One morning, while he was gone, I found the young apprentice peering into the cupboard. I asked him what he was looking for. Nothing, he said. The cupboard door clanged in his wake. After he was gone, I took Si Wang Mo's potion and turned it over in my palm. Then I brought it out into the garden, where the long walk of history stretched out in front of me. No one would hold my hand this time. He would be angry, but someday he would understand. 4. The glass was cold, the liquid bitter. The wind swept clean through the half-bare trees. That last sun beamed warm against my neck. I didn't look back as I ran. At the top of the hill, I slipped. But instead of meeting the earth with my palms, the ground fell away from me, and the streets and the houses and the fields, what the birds must have seen shrank from my reach the shadows flattened and the clouds filled in the blanks five the surface of the moon was silent except for my footsteps and the faint echoes of my breath above me darkness stretched out and out and out around me the rocks echoed back the light from the earth but did not shine i saw no villages or cities no palaces or fields or guardhouses. I realized that a country here would have no kings or nobles, no armies or navies, only the endless rock, which I could walk forever and still not know. I have found mountains here, but no snowmelt or forest. Valleys here don't flood with rainwater, only sunlight, which bathes them like sidewalk chalk. In some crevices, grey mosses have grown into arboretums and sprawled out in all directions. Their stems weave small cathedrals among themselves and alien shadows tango on their leaves. Sorrow hangs low above the ground here. I can trace the wide border between day and night, and the hourglass turning over beneath no atmosphere, and some phantom water trickling down from a distant ridge to mark the years. Watching the tide roll in and out, I think of shells left behind to dry. After dusk, they will catch a few shards of moonlight, but not last long. Six. My mother told me a story once about a band of monkeys who noticed the reflection of the moon in a lake. Thinking it had fallen, they resolved to fish it out. They formed a chain and hung from a tree branch, but once the last monkey disturbed the water, the moon disappeared. In his panic, he swung himself out over the lake, and the branch broke from his weight, and the monkeys plunged into the darkness, without a moon to land on. Did Feng Meng think of this story? I wondered. Did he dream of building a ladder to the moon, of weaving the shards of those nine suns into wings, or climbing a rope some god might hang from the sky? Did he think of touching the surface of the moon, of turning over its rocks between his fingers and gathering its dust beneath his nails? Did he think of building a house here, or on building mine? 7. The tenth sun tumbles breathless across the sky, but I can see his grief wrapped up in little time capsules waiting to burst. Perhaps he guesses that men on earth are mapping his shadow, or perhaps he sees how they climb into his house. He has left breadcrumbs to distract them while he flees, but he knows it won't be enough. Here, those few seconds stretch out further than the eye can see, and a carpet of stars spreads out above me, blank and blinking. I wonder what they will say about me a millennium from now. I wonder what names they will give me and whether they will blame me for fleeing. I wonder if they'll call me a coward or if they'll pity me or if they will simply look up into the early morning sky and say nothing.
0: That was gorgeous, thank you. Thank you. What was it about... This story that made you want to preserve it.
1: I think I was very curious about Chang'a as a character. I think um, there are so many facets of this story. It's um, sort of your the the quintessential myth that has kind of been reinterpreted by different groups or audiences, um, and there are a lot of elements that maybe. Um, don't match up perfectly with each other so you can kind of pick and choose which parts sort of make sense to you or at least that's what I did when I was writing this um and I think I've always found the moon very fascinating and um I also think it's quite interesting that a lot of um or it's quite interesting that some of China's recent space exploration missions have been named after Chang'e uh, and I think she um in my interpretation in my interpretation she ended up on the moon not really out of her own choice um, but now people are going to the moon uh, and elsewhere in space sort of trying to extract resources um, and sort of assert their authority over this um, this space that in the myth is is immortal and I thought that was really interesting
0: it, it talked to me about your thinking behind making her a sort of a victim of circumstance in some ways I'm so curious as to this contradiction between different stories as to whether or not for instance she drank the potion voluntarily or it was forced on her and that kind of thing
1: I think it's really interesting that she kind of doesn't have a choice but also that in not having a choice she's become immortal, which is for a lot of people might be sort of like the ultimate choice that you want to make. I guess as a history student, I've been influenced by questions of agency and does agency exist or is it even productive to talk about agency? And I think she has a kind of agency in being able to represent and being able to live on this wild expanse of the moon that no one else, at least when she first arrived there, possessed but i also think that she is a product of the human imagination and the human desire to always be you know looking for something beyond the earth that's why i included the element of uh, the apprentice fanglong sort of dreaming of this world beyond earth so in that sense i try to highlight both sides of of the story mm, and this is sort of hypnotizing sense of loneliness
0: that that runs alongside your exploring her, the freedom that she sort of enjoys up on the moon in some ways. Uh, Could you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting that at first her husband, Ho Yi, didn't want to drink the potion because he didn't want to be alone or be without her. And for people who have desired immortality I I don't know if they've sort of got gotten to the point of thinking like oh immortality is this is this lonely thing for Chang'e it's certainly a quite lonely thing I think she finds beauty and wonder in that and she also is able to offer us a kind of wisdom about ourselves that that we maybe don't have because we haven't lived those millennia of history think she's able to reflect on time or at least my in my characterization of her she's able to reflect on time in a very different way uh, compared to all the people around her.
0: Nina what do you make of that sort of sense of isolation that's embedded in the story in some ways?
2: Yeah that's part of the story that really fascinates me and um, resonates with me and I particularly love Maggie how you've brought out the like the wider context of the myth and the other characters that are present in the story in your beautiful beautiful poem and because for me it was kind of so hard for me to uh look beyond this looming cloud of I guess isolation and the theme of loneliness on the moon, which also maybe is embodied by the moon itself in kind of poetry and myth over the years, and also its connection to the feminine and, yeah, the ways in which loneliness and womanhood are very often um, connected in myth.
0: <laughs> Actually, that sounds like a beautiful moment to hear how you've responded to Changa. So...
2: It's titled, Snow Moon, A Diary, Day 126. I dream of the moon often, now that it's not there. Last night, a black disc with pink edges above a forest of burnt pines. On my table, I mixed graphite with red dirt to try to get the right cloud shade there was too much smoke. Day 128. The life cycle of a Chinese moon moth lasts ten to twelve days. I remember very little from before, but I remember this. Words printed in pink on a sign near the entrance to the Butterfly House at the Natural History Museum. Steam machines thrummed near the ceiling. Light flutterings disturbed the air. I felt wings opening, closing near my cheek. He led me to a perspex case full of hanging chrysalises in various stages of crumpling and unfolding. When I was in Borneo, a guy told me about a moth who drinks the tears of sleeping men, the guide says, to a group of children. A light pressure on my elbow, A pale moon moth perched on the sleeve of my t-shirt, its wings the colour of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Day 130 The first full moon in February is known as the snow moon. Hunger moon is another name for this, which I prefer. In the first days of my long period of isolation, I could see nothing. Only a formless, liquid kind of black, mixed with my own dark pink hunger. Pink like my dream moon. Pink like my pet rabbit's paws. Day 133. I'm trying to paint a moonscape, but I keep getting distracted. I'm busy watching footage of Earth's last Lunar New Year, live on Bling Empire. Jamie wears a pink brocade mini-dress with voluminous sleeves. Andrew's eyes are hard and cold like a frozen lunar sea. To steady herself, Kelly touches the smooth edge of the lab-grown diamond in her hair. Cherie thinks her baby is her mother, reincarnated. Cherie's husband, not for the first time, feels afraid of his wife's imagination. Beyond the hills, above the city, I see the curved outline of a ridge lit up by fire. When I shut my eyes, the line sharpens. I take up my stub of charcoal and begin to draw the shape. Day 136. Starting to lose the names of colours, trying to get them down before they go. I use dirt, ash, dust, charred metal from bits of burnt spacecraft. Each day, I choose a shade of black, volcanic black, velvet black, moon hunger black, and make my mark. Rue, four strokes, a line across the inside of a mouth, a single turn around the sun. Day 138 how to see the snow moon in your area we reach peak illumination at 2:27 a.m. est on sunday february 28 for the best view look for us on the night of Yuan yuanxiaojie we will drift above the horizon in the east around sunset we will reach our highest point at a quarter to midnight open the door out into the snow and look up you may mistake us for a floating lantern. You may need to stand as still as possible, without breathing. Day 139 My moon rabbit, my jade hare, my yi I found you in a crater, wrapped you up in clouds, fed you rice cakes and milk curds made of snow. Your arrival brought me a new moon made of jadeite, my translucent, lonely, uncelestial body—the first body that belonged to me. Day one hundred and forty. How to paint the surface of an ocean no one's seen? Sand, wind, earth, light. I feel it even if I cannot see it. I prepare my pigments, scrape an outline on the ice sheet. Before long, they will claim it. My valley of wind, my layered flows, my lines and shapes in dust. Tides shift under the ice that holds me. One body of water pulls closer to another.
0: It was an absolutely gorgeous reading. Thanks. <laughs> Could you tell me a bit more about the relationship between the earth and the moon in this poem? Because you paint them both so vividly in terms of landscapes.
2: Hmm. I guess um, I was thinking about visual depictions of the earth from the moon and what that would look like and... I kept thinking about a painting by Mark Rothko, actually, which looks like a kind of moonscape. And that's—I don't know—I don't think it's meant to be a moonscape necessarily. Maybe it's just a desert or very abstract kind of lines of color. But um, I kept coming back to what would it be like to see the Earth from the Moon, and that being the kind of celestial body in the sky, and how surreal that would be. Because I guess when I was thinking about Chang'e and the myth, um, I did find it really hard to inhabit her and inhabit her world. So I was thinking, you know, what are the visual features of her sky when she's on the moon and her um, the ground beneath her? What does it look like? What are the colours around her? And I became interested in this concept of um, earth light the light that is reflected um, off of earth basically and and as a kind of yeah as a contrast to moonlight
0: I'm so fascinated by this sort of diary slash captain's log type format it reminds me of when I've read diaries of people who are exploring this sort of the arctic and <laughs> antarctic backgrounds of the turn of the 20th century uh, what were you thinking uh, around that
2: yeah, I love that comparison of like a um diary of the of arctic exploration. I know what you mean now that you say it. Um but when I was writing it, I think it was just for me a kind of a way in. And I'm also really fascinated by diaries and journals and ways that they become um very rich and you know valid uh, pieces of art in themselves. Um, But they haven't always been seen that way. Um, And yes, I'm very interested in in writers' diaries, particularly written by women. And for me as well, a lot, maybe all of this poem was actually written when I was in quarantine in a hotel. (laughs) (laughs) And um, kind of, so it, it kind of doubles as my own quarantine diary in places, There are places where that's probably more obvious than others. And at first I wasn't sure if I would keep the diary form, but it really helped me, I think, and also to track the ongoing feeling, the unending feeling of this isolation, which I felt that I... Obviously, it's very different. um, Being in lockdown in London is not like being on the moon, (laughs) but (laughs) I felt I could tap into, yeah, not knowing when... um, when we could kind of resume um seeing seeing people and and going out as normal so the kind of bleak <laughs> bleak feeling of that um going on and on uh is something that i wanted to capture in the poem
0: you mentioned earlier how the moon is often thought of as feminine and personified as feminine I was wondering what you make of that in relation to how we remember Chang'e
2: mm, yeah I think I'm really interested in the fact that she becomes kind of her and the moon become one and the same when when I learned about Zhongqiujie um, mid Autumn Festival when I was young there's always images of the moon and images of a woman kind of silhouetted against the moon or or flying up to the moon this idea of worship is really interesting to me because then what happens to the character herself and what does she really mean to people and i think she's i mean as maggie said there's so many different interpretations and so many different ways that people celebrate uh, the moon festival but I think she was really taught to me I was taught that she was a kind of a symbol of the moon and so I was interested in unpacking that and turning her into a real person basically and thinking what does the moon mean to her and so I ended up going very closely into that rather than kind of thinking of people's worship of her back on Earth, which is another direction that you could potentially take the myth. There's so many different aspects. Um, Yeah, so I was thinking of loneliness, femininity, isolation, and if there's any strength and agency in that, which I think, of course, there is.
0: Mm. Um, Maggie, what do you make of that sort of relationship between Chang'e and the moon?
1: I think... It's really interesting, Nina, how in your poem you let her inhabit the moon. And like you said earlier, she and the moon kind of become one. Um, and then from that viewpoint, you sort of look back on the earth. I think that's really interesting. To me, um, Chango does kind of in- inhabit the moon. Um, but I, I see her as sort of, maybe lost isn't quite the right word, but she's sort of amid this huge expanse of dry rock and earth and sort of very exposed in that sense to, you know, space. So I thought that was really interesting. But at the same time, she has access to this whole different way of viewing nature that you wouldn't get on earth. Um, And another thing I really liked about Nina's poem is the use of color and how that sort of brings life to the moon. So I think Changa is uniquely positioned to make the moon come alive in that way. And you both give us,
0: via the sort of ventriloquized figure of the moon, a lot of room for self-reflection about what the hell we're doing here on planet Earth. And uh, on that note, I would love for us to stay up kicking about on the surface of the moon, but sadly we must descend back down to planet Earth for now. Um, so thank you so much to both of you Maggie Wang and Nina mingya Powells, and of course to the episode MVP Goddess Chang'e uh, what would we do without you <laughs> uh, this has been bedtime stories for the end of the world I've been your host Eleanor Penny and until next time sweet dreams and thanks for listening funded by Arts Council England and supported by the good folks at Spread the Word. Our project producer is Tom McAndrew and our podcast producer is Maya Bosworth. We have a book out also entitled Bedtime Stories for the End of the World. It's illustrated by the artist Inquisitive and published by Studio Press. To get your copy you can go to our website endoftheworldpodcast.com. There you can also explore all our previous episodes and find out more about our writers and their stories. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Goodbye World Pod.